So we get up to the target that Bradley maneuvered into position, and it was like this tank round just flies out of nowhere. And then you start to hear like tink, 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 and the ramp goes down. And we peel out, and I ran towards the target building. And as I like clear all the stuff, there's smoke and stuff, and I just get this weird feeling like not everybody's with me. So I kind of like take a knee. And I'm like waiting. Nobody's running by me, and I'm realizing you hear like snap, snap, snap. And then all of a sudden, like I get the squeeze and it's Mark behind me. So we go up to the front door. So I ran up, kicked it open, and it propels me past the first two rooms. I'm like on my gun the whole time, and I just give the going upstairs. And as me and Chucky get to the top of the stairs, this machine gun fire just comes in, dude, and it comes in heavy. You could tell it was really close. And all of a sudden, you hear man down, like dire man down. And then he goes, we need to form it down here now. So I just, it's like three bounds down the stairs and I get down to the stairwell. As we're coming down, I go to grab Mark and another bunch of machine gun fire comes down through there. So I kind of like duck out of the way and Mark is, dude, he's down. And Nick, our EOD guys, returning fire. I catch Nick's eye. It looked like sheer terror, um, the look that he gave me. So grab Mark and I drug him around that little alcove. And I just start cutting Mark's gear off. Um, you know, it was pretty apparent that he took one round right through the teeth. I could see the whole left side was, um, was already bruising. You could see it all on his cheek. Um, his face was like white and Mark was tan. I get the gear off and dude, I'm just doing like a quick assessment. And dude, there's nothing, man. I was like, we need a Kazovac now. It's like, all right, it's outside. So I go and I sling Mark up on there and I start carrying him, dude. And it... It's heavy. You know what I mean? And we're live. Uh, Jason Higgins, what's up, brother? Hey, how you doing, man? Honored to be on the show. Good, man. Good. I'm glad that you came on. So you've done a number of things. Working for the United States government, uh, you were a Navy SEAL, and then you've worked OGA. And now you have your own company. Um, So we have a lot to talk about. Correct, correct. Yep. I did uh, about nine years in the SEAL teams, did OGA for another five years, and we've been working this for about a year now. So the name of your company is Easy Day Hemp. Correct, yep. Easy Day Hemp. So can we can we talk a little bit about it, like um, how it got started and why, and um, if any of that is related to uh, your service? Yeah, definitely. So the company is 100% related to our service. Both me and my partner, you know, when exiting the SEAL teams after we got out and transitioning from military service to civilian life, you know, we both faced some of the the major issues that the majority of of veterans face, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression. I personally was on clonazepam for five years while I transitioned. And, you know, I think the, the status quo right now is to throw guys on pills in yeah, it's just for us, we want to provide people with a natural option that, you know, might keep them away from the prescription medications or if they want to transition from prescription medications to a more natural option. I think, you know, hemp is a, is a viable solution. But again, you know, we recommend that if anybody wants to get off medication, they re- talk to their physician and do it correctly because brain damage can't occur. if People just jump off, you know, try to do, right. you know, s- switch to marijuana or or hemp. Right. I've seen guys um, post pictures on social media. Um, I forgot the exact circumstance. I think it was something like in order to um, receive some kind of benefit, 
he had to take his medication and then he showed a picture of his medication and there was just like eight different bottles of all kind of things. I mean, he, he had all kind of injuries, um, you know, from his time in the service, but yeah. And I think, you know, my personal, my personal opinion and from what I've experienced is the VA is, is too quick to, to pump the medications out. And it's just when they do pump the medications out, it's in massive quantities. Like I recently had a back injury and it took, you know, two months for them to tell me what, what exactly it was. It ended up being three, three discs misplaced in my back. And it's just, they sent me about a year's worth of pills. I think it was like 600 of one prescription and a bunch of other prescriptions. And I just threw it all away, which is my standard response now, right. because all these pills, you know, they affect your hormone levels, they affect everything. And I think the main issue right now in the veteran community is that guys are heavily medicated. So beyond the PTSD and the anxiety, they get you know, they don't even know who they are anymore because there's so many chemicals being pumped into them and through them. You know what I mean? Right. And and one of the, you know, looking at the comments from that post, like one person asked, like, how come there's so many different meds? So he's he was probably taking like three different meds for his conditions. And then the other stuff he was taking was to counteract the side effects of those medications. So you're like all doped up on all this crazy shit. And a big part of the issue is a lot of these medications are pushed because it's like a for-profit system. So, you know, they're, they're making money from this. And that's why a lot of the times they push it on people when that that's not necessarily what is required, you know? Exactly, man. And I, I know there's, there's major problems with the VA. You know, I don't have all the knowledge. I don't know what's going on at the upper levels, but there's definitely, there, it seems to be a culture of prescriptions. And the fact that they're pumping this amount of medication out to dudes where it's multiple months worth is just, in my opinion, ridiculous. You know what I mean? So it, it definitely affects your hormone levels, everything. So the guys are kind of chasing, chasing the, the rainbow there. You know what I mean? Where you're taking the prescription medication. And like you said, you have to take another one to combat the side effects of that one. So you just end up getting lost, you know, and personally that's where I was because I was on a bunch of stuff and I ended up, yeah, it got pretty bad for me. So I needed to transition off. All of it. How long was it that you were on like meds before you kind of got off of it? So I would say I was on medication for four to five years before it got so bad that I needed to come off. It, it just became apparent that every decision I was making in my life was fucked up. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, the anxiety was still there, but it, it would definitely silence the anxiety. And I'm not saying that you know, everybody should get off their medication or that medication is bad because for some people that is the best option for me, you know, and for others that want to try natural options, I think this is great. I think, you know, industrial hemp is one thing of many that could help because there's a lot of natural options out there now that I think guys just don't know about, you know, from like magnetic resonance therapy for your brain, which they're doing now to kind of alter your brain waves and get you back on the level you should be to Wim Hof breathing to cold exposure. There's so many things now that veterans can use besides, you know, just the status quo of getting on medications. Right. And a lot of it is interesting. A lot of it is um, misdiagnosed as well. So sometimes they'll diagnose PTSD when it's really just TBI, or sometimes they'll diagnose TBI when it's really low testosterone, um, and just the testosterone piece is a big part of it. I agree. Because there's like there's thresholds, right? So when you're you're in you're deployed, you're in combat, or you're in a, a high risk situation, your testosterone is pumping. And after doing that for so many years, it's like a car almost. You know, you you sort of run your mileage. And um, 
and then there's things that you need to do in order to fix that. You you can correct it, uh, but often it's misdiagnosed. So then you you they're diagnosing you with PTSD, but really you just have low testosterone, and that's affecting everything you're doing. And then they're pumping you with all these pills, and you're not you're really not being treated at all. I agree. I totally agree. I know that you know when you're in a high stress environment over long periods of time, and this war has been going on for like 10, 15 years now. So guys, like when they get into service, it's a lot for a lot of people, it's multiple deployments, it's repeated exposures. Yeah. Over time, there is like, and you can feel it. There's a gradual wearing down, like your ability to control that stress response. And you know, nobody is immortal. Everyone likes to think, you know, that they're not going to be affected. But I guarantee, like, it, it seems like 100% of the guys that I know, once they get out and once they start to slow down, that's when things catch up. You know what I mean? Whether it right. be the hormonal issues or the the TBI issues, the PTSD issues. And it's really, you know, getting a hold on all of those things. Like hormonal issues is a big one, like you said. And for me, that was a big one as well. Like maintaining correct t- testosterone levels, especially in men, is is paramount. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens to, to men who are not in the service. You know, once you're about 40, I think 40 to 50 is when it, it sort of happens. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of the treatment for that is exercise, a clean diet, and, and some medication and things like that. And eventually you can correct it. Um, but I, like I said, I, just, I would imagine for guys who are deploying constantly, you reach that threshold much faster than someone who's not going into combat, you know? Oh, definitely, definitely. All these things can affect your hormones, you know, and like elevated cortisol levels, and it's sometimes for years, you know what I mean? So it definitely affects your hormones. And I think guys feel it. I think there's a lot of people that don't even know their hormones are messed up and are walking around with low testosterone, they're depressed and all that stuff where they're diagnosed with PTSD and all this stuff, but simply, you know, taking testosterone injections or supplementing in some way like that could help them greatly. Right. So what is it that you guys are offering at Easy Day Hemp? Can we kind of walk through some of that? Yeah. So basically what we want to do by providing our service, Easy Day Hemp, was give both veterans and Americans a trusted, you know, kind of like a trusted source for industrial hemp, which is now legal with the passing of the farm bill. So we provide both broad spectrum and full spectrum products up to 0.3 percent THC. So, yeah, that's where we're at. And so we A lot of it isn't like you know, like like high strain, like marijuana strains. You know, high strains of it, like have you know large percentages of THC. It's it's not that. It's like more medicine than getting high, right? Right, exactly. So I think there's a huge misconception between marijuana and industrial hemp. So you know, industrial hemp is a strain of cannabis sativa, but it's a really low, low THC. So it's only zero point three percent THC, and those are for the full spectrum products. So for those concerned with THC, you know, there's isolate products as broad spectrum products that have had the THC removed. So, you know, as far as drug testing, those are products that we would recommend, but legally, you know, we cannot say whether anyone is going to pass or fail a drug screen, just not something any hemp company is going to do. Right. So we give, we, we third party test all of our products and it, it, they're, they're right on the site for everybody to view. So our customers can make their own educated decisions. And if, if anyone wants to like order or check you guys out, where can they go to do that? Yeah, so they just go to www.easydayhemp.com. Okay, so part of the creation of Easy Day Hemp, you know, has to do with your personal recovery. I'm sure similar to your partners. Um, was there a specific incident during your service that led to some sort of like post-traumatic stress for you? 
So for me, I think it was, you know, over the long term. My first deployment was kind of light. I really didn't see that much. My second deployment, you know, I got pretty much everything that I I wanted as a kid growing up. I was like, you know, I want to be a Navy SEAL. I want to go do this job. And, you know, my second second deployment, that's pretty much where I got everything that I wanted. I saw a lot of combat. And I think that's the one that affected me the most. Your second and deployment. I, yeah, my second deployment. It didn't really catch up to me until years later. You know, so I went and I did the, the OGA gig for another five years. And I think when I left that gig, it's, it's when it really caught up to me. And it, it got pretty pretty shitty there for a minute. And I needed to readjust my entire life as I stepped away. Right. And so what do you think it is where, you know, your second deployment and then you've gone on several after, what do you think it is to where it affected you later? Was it just like compartmentalizing things and just keep on with the job kind of thing? And then when you slow down, that's when you think about it or like, what do you think it was? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's common for, for combat veterans to compartmentalize, you know, their experiences. For me, I think it was just that deployment was the heaviest. You know, we we saw the most in that deployment, you know, and uh, yeah, I blocked it out for a long time. Didn't think about it. And then it, it caught me at the, in the, at the end there. So what led you to join the Navy? You know, becoming a Navy SEAL, it's like the pinnacle of combat arms. And um, and what did it mean to you? Yeah. So when I was growing up, you know, I saw all the same movies that I'm sure a lot of guys that want to be team guys end up seeing. So I decided really early on, probably 12 or 13 years old, that I wanted to be a SEAL and that, you know, nothing else was going to suffice. So that's when I went for it. And when did you join? So I joined in 2002. Okay, after 9-11. Yeah, after 9-11, yep. Okay, can we walk through uh, some of your, your journey in the Navy a little bit, like maybe going through BUDS and, and, um, and what it was like when you got to your team? Yeah, so BUDS for me, I mean, I enjoyed it. I think most guys that talk about their BUDS experience, I think they all enjoy it on some level. It was extremely fucking painful on every level as well. <laughs> so it's at the beginning there, you know, it's definitely a surprise. And I think everybody goes through that point, you know, whether it be Hell Week before Hell Week or after Hell Week when they're just like, what the fuck? And you have to make a decision, you know, if you're going to continue to put up with it or, you know, quit. And I think a lot of guys, they just fucking quit. They quit on themselves. They don't believe in themselves. And they decide eventually that it's not what they want to do, that it's too, too fucking hard for them. Yeah. So after Hellwig, the guys that are left, it's a, it's a true brotherhood. And you're, you're very tight-knit with those guys. You know you can count on them for anything. So it's, it's really hard to explain to somebody – you know, the way a soft community works, the way SEAL teams works. And it's really, it's the guys that put out that, you know, will do everything for the team. It really is about the team. Individuals will fail because where you're weak, your buddy's going to pick you up. So I know some of the issues that, you know, guys are facing when they get out. Um, it's a difference in pace. Um, you know, in a SEAL platoon, things are constantly happening. You're either deploying or training to deploy. Um, can you talk about what life was like, um, at your SEAL team? Yeah. So life at a SEAL team, I mean, it's pretty fast paced. You're going everywhere. So you're training all the time. I think you're home for a month here, a month there, but you're doing trips all the time, training land warfare, jungle warfare, air ops. Yeah. And then you're deploying every two years for six months. So the, the pace is, is very high. So I know like for, uh, um, an army special forces ODA, each guy kind of has a specialty and then they sort of cross train um, in other specialties. Is it similar for a SEAL platoon? 
Yeah, I would say it's almost identical. So everyone has their specialty, secondary specialty, and then everybody learns everything. So if, if needed, if a guy goes down that somebody else can pick it up, that you're not going to be you know, at a deficit then. Right. And um, so you spoke about your second deployment. Can you talk about where that was? So that was in Iraq. Yep. Okay. So was that like kind of during the height of the Iraq war? Yeah, I would say that was during the height of the Iraq war. Yeah. So it was it was pretty fast paced, that entire entire uh, deployment from the time we got on the ground until the time we left. So it was completely different than my first platoon because it was like I think we were on the ground within 24 hours. We were in combat. Right. And and the the height of the Iraq war was pretty bad. Um, Obviously, you know, that was probably what? Like thirteen years ago now, or something like that, twelve years ago, um, or at least to going back to that period, um, and and then there was obviously um, SEAL Team Three. Some of the stuff that they were doing there was sort of made famous by books being coming out, uh, coming out, and stuff like that. Um, you have guys like Jocko Willink, who he was a a SEAL commander for SEAL Team Three. So guys have spoken about what some of that was like, and and that was pretty pretty heavy fighting. Um, were you ever in Ramadi? Uh, I was never in Ramadi, no. So that was mostly the West Coast guys. I was stationed East Coast. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So can we talk about um, at least your transition out of the SEAL teams and into OGA? Yeah. So when I transitioned from the SEAL teams, I think I had maybe two thousand dollars, you know, in my bank account. It was it was kind of dire there. So I was super stressed out. I'd uh, just broken up with my girlfriend at the time because I was, I guess I was being a dick. She couldn't deal with me. So, yeah, I just, I kind of picked that job up really quick. We went and did the qualification course and passed it and then left, I think, three months after I had gotten out, I was back overseas. And so did you do that immediately? Like, did you know I'm going to get out of the teams and go straight there or... Uh, I really had no idea, but I, you know the opportunity came up. It was paying paying quite well, and I had nothing else going on. Plus, I was you know harder for money. Like I th- would say, most of the guys getting out are right, right, okay. And then you stayed there for how many? How long? I would say four and a half, five years. I was doing that job. And how did you like that? Uh, the pay was way better, to be honest. Okay. It was a, a little bit more mellow pace, but you're still hanging your balls way out with that job. You know, I can't go into the details of who I was working for or what I was doing, but right. it was it was different. You know, there was smaller units, and you're you're hanging your balls way out. That's for sure. Right. Okay. And um, and then how long has it been since you've been like separated from service? So I left that part of the job in 2015. Okay. So then when you finally were completely done with your service, um, you know, you're uh, sort of on the road to your personal recovery. Did that involve like doing some traveling as well? Exactly. Yeah. So when I when I first got out, it was kind of it kind of all hit me at once. Like I was done. I, I knew that it was time for me to just to stop with that lifestyle and start working on myself and start, you know, fixing the problems that I was having because they were manifesting in a pretty shitty way. So I originally I'd gotten out and I had started just, uh, you know, talk therapy, all the, all the stuff, basically all the normal stuff that people would do. I actually went home for six to eight months to stay with my folks, just kind of reset because at that point I needed to be around family, you know, people that I trusted and 
just give myself a nice reset in my uh, in my hometown. And from there, you know, I traveled to Thailand, Bali. I got heavy into Ashtanga yoga, which uh, which really helped me. You know, slowing down on the breathing. Yoga is great for for veterans with PTSD and anxiety. And if you do it every morning, there's there's a huge benefit to to being consistent with that as well. And then you know, I started doing Wim Hof breathing, the cold exposure. All of those things, like done consistently, I think would help guys greatly. And I think there's a lot of people that just don't know about them, or just you know don't don't want to do them. Maybe there's some stigma attached to that as well. Just like there's a stigma attached to marijuana and hemp, and you know how people still think they're both the same thing. Right. So what is that Wim Hof breathing? So Wim Hof breathing is you know you have to go to his site to check it out, but it's basically three rounds of breathing where you're breathing in as deep as you can in it out as fast as you can kind of like hyperventilating and then holding your breath but it does something to the chemicals in your brain which calms you down like really fixes anxiety and i do this daily if i need it so if i'm anxious i'll do that i'll take my cbd and then yeah it helps quite a bit and i think just having those routines in place are good for any human right and i think also just as a whole like society should move more towards like holistic and natural remedies and away from like all the medications. Um, I, yeah. Cause essentially like those are drugs. Um, and, yep. and now, especially now this day and age in the United States, uh, we have an opioid crisis. Um, kids are yep. overdosing. I mean, not just kids, but a lot of people are overdosing on, on these pills, which are essentially um, legal pills. I, I think they're probably getting them illegally. But, um, you know, they're made and they're approved by the government and, and they're sold. And, uh, you know, we're at a point where it's basically at a, a crisis level. And um, but then it's interesting at the same time, then, you know, all these prescription drugs are being taken and it's it's having a, a super negative effect. But there's still a stigma on marijuana. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, I find it I find it absolutely ridiculous, you know, that there's this much this much regulation regarding both hemp and in marijuana. And I think that the people have spoken to a point where I think that the government is going to come on board and find a way to, you know, regulate it in a healthy way, allow the industry to grow both in hemp and in marijuana, because I think that everybody wants those solutions now, those natural solutions. And right. I think that, you know, the prescription crisis is definitely out of hand. I've personally experienced it. I know there's a lot of guys that are experiencing it, experiencing it now, like in the veteran community in America is just, it's gotten completely out of fucking hand. And I think that, yeah, something needs to happen because there are so many natural options now, both, you know, we need to educate people, but we also need to have the government, you know, step in and kind of start pushing that route as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, uh, I'm not sure if it's still changed, but the last that I, I checked, the um, the federal government had weed, marijuana was classified as the same type of drug, I think, as heroin or something like that, like whatever the classification is. Yeah, so I, I don't, I have to catch up on that, but, you know, we I stay up, up to date with, you know, hemp and all that, but Major League Baseball just came out and said they're not going to test for marijuana anymore, you right. know what I mean? So... I think there is forward progress, and I just I, like I don't I don't think it's happening fast enough. And I think that you know, the people have spoken, dude. This is what they want, and I think that you know the country needs to get on board. Yeah, I mean, what well, like civilizations have always in the past, like ancient civilizations have always used some kind of like psychedelic drug, and and it wasn't just to like get wasted and and um, you know and be a bum all day. You know, it's like 
there's evidence that the ancient Egyptians used to take some kind of drug to to reach like in a higher state of consciousness, and and um and then even now in Central and South America, you have uh, ayahuasca. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's there's if I, I think this is one where the progression of society needs to go. So when humanity started and when everything came together, you know, it was very tribal. You know what I mean? Right. We took care of everybody. Everybody had their place. Old people weren't just thrown the fuck away. And, you know, warriors were taken care of when they come home. And I, I'm not saying warriors aren't taken care of right now, but the current system is fucked up. You know what I mean? Right. It's just a mess. So, yeah, there are like plant medicines like that that are helping a lot of guys. And I think that, you know, you have like you had like the, the tribes you were talking about, those warriors. I think it was part of uh, from what I've read. They did it when they were like 18 years old. And it, it's, I think it'd be a great introduction for those in the society where they could just get like a more open view of exactly what what society is. Because I think right now, as connected as society is with cell phones and computers and Internet, we're still really fucking disconnected. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, right. There's like an element of, of being isolated. Like you like you go anywhere, you get on a train or whatever, you go to a restaurant and everybody's just glued to their phones, you know. Um, yeah. So it's it's like a double edged sword, right? You're, you're connected. Uh, you know, you can see things that, you know, in the past, in order to see these things, you had to go to these places. Um, so that, you know, that's a plus. But then the negative is that everyone's sort of isolated all the time. And um, even I forget the exact numbers, but I think uh, suicide amongst, uh, you know, teenage girls is like you know, 50% higher than it's been in like the last 40 years. And they yeah. attribute some of that to um, like social media bullying, you know. So it's 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 really a double-edged sword. Yeah, I would say it is a double-edged sword. I think it's a great tool. Everyone's connected. I think it's harder for people to get things by humanity now. But I think, yeah, everyone's judging themselves on a level that doesn't really exist. As far as the, the little girls committing suicide, I'm sure they're being, they're comparing themselves to something that was airbrushed or, or something like that, but it's just, yeah, I think uh, it, it's a tool. It's a great tool, but it has to be used correctly. And I think isolation is a huge fucking issue in every community. I think when people isolate, you know, it invites mental illness. Speaking personally, you know, when I was isolated, that's what happened with me because, I mean, there was a period where I spent two or three months where I didn't really leave my apartment after leaving, you know, service. It was just that isolation invites mental illness. Right. Right. And, and that period that you spoke about, was that when you were, would you say, like at your lowest? Uh, I would say it got even lower than that, to be honest. Like, there was a really there was a really low point. I'm not really comfortable talking about it, but I was in a really shitty place. Really, really fucking bad. And I know that there's a lot of guys that go there and is, they feel like there's no way out. And I think that the biggest thing they can do is start exploring, you know, these natural medicines, start exploring the natural things the breathing exercises the cold exposure you know it's a long fucking road back but if you're never going to get there if you don't walk it you know what i mean brother so right and like when you were at your your low points were you were you exercising during those periods yeah so i was exercising a lot i mean i was actually in great shape i was you know i was on testosterone at the time i don't know if it was the the best best uh best way to do it at the time but i was on it so i think that for me it was you know, the alcohol abuse i think i at that time was drinking so much of my life and between that and medications that i was taking that it really kind of fucking 
threw me off the rails. And I had always told myself, you know, I'm going to do this job until the fucking wheels come come off. But right. you know, it sounded a lot sexier in my head until the fucking wheels actually did come off. <laughs> right. Did you have, were you injured in, like, when, when you were in your service, like, uh, combat-related? No, so I actually got very lucky. I never got injured. You know, I had a, a couple knee injuries, I guess, where I got a, a surgery, and I have uh, some back issues. So pretty mild compared to what some other guys have had to deal with. Right, right. Like, uh, like there, there's stories of guys, like, going on their first deployment. Um, I think specifically what I'm thinking of uh it was an infantry and, and ranger joint operation somewhere in Afghanistan, and um, this guy stepped off the back of a Chinook, and like it was his first time in combat. I think he was like 22. The second he stepped off, he got shot right in the head. I mean, and, and then there's guys who deploy 14 times and they never get hurt. It's, it's really, it's kind of a strange phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's it's fucking life, dude. And war is its own thing. I mean. Everybody, you never know when you're going to get fucked up. You never know when you're going to get shot. I mean, that's war, but that's also life here. You know, you right. never know when you, your number's up. And when your number's up, your number's up. So there's really no need to worry about it. I mean, it's going to happen regardless. Right. Um, so what, you know, when you were kind of at your lowest point, um, what attributed to you deciding to, you know, to go travel and, and try some, like, alternative options? So, you know, at first I, I feel like I just love travel at that. And I was already going like a thousand miles an hour. So I really couldn't slow down. I needed to travel. So, but going to those places and doing the yoga, I think that was the beginning of it for me. You know what I mean? And then trying some of the, the stuff they have in Bali, just natural medicines. And then from there, you know, getting into to marijuana and then transitioning to CBD as well. Right. So, yeah. So you, you started like smoking marijuana. Yeah, I tried it. I mean, I know a lot of people will smoke marijuana and like that's their thing. I tried it. I, I really, you know, it doesn't work that great for me. Right. And I mean, yeah, it's just not one of my things. Personally, I get paranoid when I do it. But CBD is yeah. one of the things I can do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm one of those guys. But I think, uh, yeah, the CBD works great for me. I take very high doses, but it's great for me. Right. And and do you take like a specific, like, so on your website you have like sort of different options. Do you take a specific one? Yeah, so it really depends on the day. I've I've done the uh, the maximum strength we have right now is 100 milligrams per dropper, and it's 3,000 milligrams per bottle, and that's a it's a really strong one. It's one of the THC free ones. The test not detectable. I think you know I would recommend to anybody if you're not concerned with drug testing to try the full spectrum products because those are the ones that are going to be the best. Those have the the trace amounts of THC in them. Okay, point three percent. Yeah, and so it's it's obviously it's very low THC, and 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 I mean some of the strains of marijuana out today are like thirty percent or even higher. Um, but so having that three percent, that doesn't that won't affect you, right? Like you like you won't get like a, a high. No, that. it's not. It's non psychoactive. It's not three percent. It's it was zero point three percent. Zero point three. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so it's literally it's very trace amounts. So and I think this is where you know the stigma from marijuana and hemp needs to be you know educate people a little bit. Mar like marijuana is very high. It's, it's a lot higher THC, and I know that they have high CBD strains of marijuana, but the industrial hemp is really really low. You know, trace amounts of THC, right? And levels of CBD. So, yeah, I think it was. Um, I want to say the 1920s and probably before that, um, like like right before this sort of stigma for marijuana in the United States came about. 
Like it was, it's like a whole conspiracy about it. Um, or well, it, rather, it was a conspiracy to to have it uh, looked at as something bad and make it illegal. Um, like there, there are documentaries about how that whole thing happened. But in a lot of pharmacies, before that took place, a lot of the the medicines had were hemp based, and a lot of them had some some sort of hemp in them. Uh, so it was before that point, it was generally looked at as a, a medicine or used exactly. as in medicine. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's been medicine for 10,000 years. This yeah. dates back before, you know, the United States in, at the beginning of the United States. I mean, George Washington himself had had it grown hemp, right. you know, Lincoln had it grown. So I think <laughs> hemp is as, about as American as it gets. And it's always been here. It's been here before us and it'll be here. Yeah, it's 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 always been here. And right. I think that, you know. The reason that it's been kind of pushed down is because there's there's not as much profit or I don't know if they figured out a way to profit from it yet where it's going to be beneficial to them. But I think there's been multiple points in history where, you know, natural medicines and plants have been kind of either made illegal or just stifled. Right. And it's 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 kind of weird because you can make a profit from it, Um, you know, you tax it or whatever. Yeah, so I think if the the United States taxed it, and I think they're going that way. I think they're doing it now. I think with marijuana, they're doing it. I think if they there's a way for them to do it where you know they get their their buck as well. Right, and you know it, it opens up industries, jobs, and then it, it can also pull people off some of these meds. But that's probably where some of the fight is, right? The pharmaceutical companies or industry doesn't want people to get off those medications, so they'll fight it. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a big thing. It's a big industry. So I know you've got big pharma that wants to make as much money as possible. And I'm saying, you know, some of those medications work for people. Some of them, I think, are unneeded. But it's just like I really, I mean, if you look at suicide rates in veterans, and I don't know what it was before, but I think there's always been some suicide after war. But right. it seems to be that suicide rate in general, this day and age, has gone up quite a bit. And in my mind, the only thing that I see that's changed is the prescription, <laughs> the prescription crisis. And I right. think that. It's not so much that people have the mental illness, it's that, you know, it's either one medication or combinations of medications that, you know, might not be playing well. And I'm not a doctor, so I recommend anybody to talk to a doctor or find the best option for them, you know what I mean? Like, talk to your physician. But if you want to transition or explore natural options, I think that's something that would be would be great for everyone. Yeah, and I think you know, it's also the transition process, like... Each war, right, the, the guys coming back have certain difficulties that are specific to that war. So, like, in World War Two, some guys might have been deployed for two years straight, three years straight, or even four uh, before they came home. And, you know, going from one battlefield to the next. But then, and, and that was really tough. And there, yeah, there, there were battles where, you know, 20,000 people died in a single battle. And, and that's like, just to think about that is crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And then, you know, going to to the Vietnam era guys, you know, they were coming back and and getting spit on, and 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 the public was really against them, and yeah. and so they kind of some guys had to like you know hide the fact that they served, you know, and, and and that's difficult to deal with. And you brought a good point up there, not to interject, but there's just there's the biggest thing I think when guys come home is community. So there's yeah. that in Vietnam, it was fucking atrocious for guys coming home. So it's yeah. The biggest thing that guys need when they come home is community. Yeah. They need people to support them. And it, it's like, this is one thing I don't know if everybody realizes, but 
you know, when you leave service, for the most part, you know, your guys, you like your buddies are still in or they move to home or to other places for other jobs. Your community is completely fucking eliminated. Yeah. So you basically have to redefine yourself after exiting service. And I think that is one of the hardest fucking things in the world to do is find both your new identity, your new community, and especially like adjust enough where you can fit in with, with those around you. Because it's not your buddies that you had in a war zone and like – some of the jokes don't really fall on civilian ears until right. you like yeah. transition. You know what I mean? So you definitely have to, it's not silence yourself, but you have to adjust and you have to like kind of let that old guy go a little bit. And I think a lot of guys have trouble with that or, you know, the ego where they're comparing themselves to what they used to be, but it's like, it's, it's fucking forward momentum and it's find new community. You know what I mean? I think those are two big things for guys. Right. And it's, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with not, you know, being that warrior who's constantly deploying anymore, because at some point you can't you can't do that forever, right? Exactly, um, man. It's like everybody is going to reach their limit, whether it be mentally or physically, where you're not going to be able to do that job anymore. And I think the biggest thing with the warrior class is finding new fucking purpose, because yeah. your purpose was so great before and it was life or death. But you, you need to adjust and you need to find that new fucking purpose, whether it be, you know, fighting for yourself, yourself, your family, your veterans causes whatever you know what i mean i think we're in a great time right now where we kind of all need to fucking band together and make change you know what i mean right and and you know you, you spoke about like the previous um civilizations or warriors and and how they had that community like the spartans for example like you know they would come back from war and um and everybody supported them not that guys don't have a, a good support systems now maybe some do and some don't you know depending but um you know, people told stories and, and sat around the fire and things like that. And I think that's also important. Like, I've had guys come on before. Um, I've, I've had a couple of Vietnam era guys come on. And they've spoken about things that they told me offline that they, like, like one guy told me, like, in 40 years, he's never spoken about that to anybody. And, yeah. and after talking about it, he actually felt good. And, and, and so maybe that's an option as well. I mean, people don't have to do podcasts, you know, but maybe just talking to somebody can help, you know? Yeah, I totally agree, man. I think I was carrying a shit ton of stuff on my chest. And it wasn't until I started talking about it and getting it off, even, you know, with your family members, you talk to who you need to talk to, but it needs to come out. You know what I mean? So burying anything is not the way, you know what I mean? Because that shit will fester and fucking destroy your life. You really need to get it out. So find somebody to talk to. Find a natural way, you know, to to heal yourself. You know what I mean, right? And uh, another thing that I thought was interesting. So, like, I, I read a lot of history and stuff like that, and um, and I I've read several different books uh, that are regarding the um, sort of medieval era Japan and it has to do with the samurais and and sort of their mindset. And um, one thing that this uh, this famous he was a samurai, he was a general, and one thing he spoke about was um, not only mastering, you know, the way of the sword, as they would kind of coin the term, but also mastering other things, uh, things that have to do with art, you know, writing. Uh, one thing they do in Japan is like tea ceremonies and gardening. So all, all of these warriors were doing all these different things. And he right. felt like when you can do all those different things, then you become, you know, a so-called master or whatever. And and I think some of that may help guys transitioning. Um, you know, one thing that you helped you was traveling, right? Um, like, personally, I love to travel. And I, I feel like it's it's something that brings me, like, incredible joy, right? Um, yeah. It's one of the most healing things you can do, in my opinion. Yeah. And do, do you still travel a lot or? Yeah, I still travel quite a bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's like for me, it's amazing. I'm also a photographer, so you know when I'm, I'm traveling places and I'm, I'm trying to capture images and you know some of these unique things and and sort of taking advantage of the times that we're in where you can be almost anywhere in the world in under 24 hours, right? Yeah, it's amazing time, man. It's amazing. And I mean, everybody's a photographer now too. The iPhones are great. right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, but you spoke to the samurai class. I studied a lot of those, a lot of that growing up, and I think it's just. You know, you have to make yourself kind of like a full circle warrior. I think if you focus too much on on the fighting the fighting stuff, you know, you're going to be all about that. So you need to have, you know, some come down as well. It can't all be amped up. It's got to be like some meditation. Meditation is great, like yoga. You need to have some some soft art in there as well. You know what I mean? Right. And um, even I've spoken to people. I forget exactly who the hell it was who told me this. Um, yeah, I really can't remember, but someone said it to me on the podcast. It might have been like a British guy or something. Uh, but he said in, in in some ways, and, and I think he said, like, you know, I don't mean to sound weird or sick, but in some ways there is a sort of creativity on the battlefield. You know, even though it's, you know, one human killing another, uh, there's some level of creativity to staying alive and, and stuff like that, or tactics or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, you need to be a thinker, dude. So you need to be a thinker for sure. And the guys that can think through the combat are the ones that, you know, I think do the best in it. Right. And and also another thing, like, you know, some guys are like, you know, fantastic in, in, in war and stuff like that. And uh, special operations, inserting, whatever, uh, you know, whatever it may be, things that are really difficult. But I feel like if guys applied that same level of attention and tenacity to that, like when they get out to, to something else, you know, they would succeed uh, at an equal level, you know? Yep, and I totally agree, man. I think the biggest thing that, that dudes need to do when they get out is find something they're passionate about because you can you, you can take that that level of, uh, of crushing it to whatever you find, you know what I mean? But for a lot of these guys, and myself included, you need to be passionate about it, you know what I mean? So... Helping veterans is why we got into this business as well, because we were, we're extremely passionate about it. We're extremely about helping guys and getting them on, you know, different solutions. CBD being one, and you know, eventually we're going to educate on a whole bunch of other stuff as well. There's a big plan for Easy Day. That's awesome. Um, so since you guys have uh, started Easy Day, have you dealt with a lot of veterans or teammates or anything like that? Yeah, so we have uh, a lot of guys that reach out to us, and uh, we're we're focused towards the veteran community, but we're open to everybody. You know what I mean? So right. I get on the phone a couple times a day. I'll get a call from somebody, and I'll talk them talk to them about the product or about you know my experiences about some things that are available out there. You know what I mean? That they could use to kind of get themselves pushed forward. So I also saw on your website you also had the CBD for canines as well. Yeah, yep. So my partner was actually a dog handler. Now we can't talk about that again, but we, he's uh, the dog products are great, man. You know, so dogs have an endocannabinoid system as well, and it acts pretty much the same way as it does in a human. Oh, right. That's also something I wanted to speak about. So the humans, we have uh, cannabinoids receptors in our body. Yeah, so we have an endocannabinoid system. So cannabinoids are already in there, man. So basically, when you throw the CBD in, we basically—I you know, can't really make any medical claims, but there's a great, there's a, a bunch of studies coming out now where it can help with, you know, PTSD, anxiety, all those things on some level, you know, can assist with. Right. Well, I know guys. Um, I've done a podcast like two years ago, maybe or something like that. Um, one guy was a uh, a Sark, 
Um, and he was attached to, I think, like Force Recon and, and Marsoc teams. And then yep. another guy was a um, Army Special Forces guy. He was a SIF guy. I think he went over to CAG, and then he, he went back into Special Forces. And he had really bad, like really bad P- uh, PTSD and TBI. Um, cause he, he was a uh, engineer, so he, he'd been around explosives. And, and one of the things we talked about in that episode was being in confined spaces and constantly having like the concussions of rifles going off or uh, you know breaching doors and things like that and how all of that over time affects your brain like just from getting hit with those blasts yeah um, the tbis TBIs are big in in the military community right even in training it 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 can you know over time it can get to you Um, yeah i mean just big stuff so it's like even shooting i don't know if you know what a carl gustav is but it's a pretty pretty right. hefty rocket with ani tank rounds and i think there's like a safe number of those to shoot i'm pretty sure everybody goes over it but even those it's like a major blast to your body to your brain and like that and it being exposed to you know breaches and just everything it all adds up so everyone is something you know it's a tiny little explosion but over the years you know it's not normal for the human brain to be exposed to those oh absolutely and and i think that's also a difference or probably a huge difference from guys in modern warfare compared to people who fought wars in the middle ages right like obviously there's a level of like you know a gruesome level that goes to guys you know hitting each other with swords and axes and shit like that but head trauma but you know they're they're not constantly getting hit with blast waves you know so there's a difference and um so both of these guys had issues with tbi and stuff i think the my friend who's in the army, I think he had it a little worse because he he'd been hit by IEDs a couple of times. He survived the helicopter crash, so he he got his yeah. bell rung pretty bad. And then he he kind of spoke about like some of his low points, and uh, he was very honest and open about it. And it was it was really uh, like deep. And um, he he spoke about how he he finally decided to to speak to his doctor and talk about like getting off of some of the medication. And like yep. trying CBD and, and marijuana as an alternative, and he said once he did that, he was it was kind of his way to sort of, uh, I, I think he used kind of this term like to sort of climb out of the basement, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's like a good transition point. You know what I mean? Like either one of those things, and either like CBD, they're saying like, see, I, it's really hard to talk with it with the FDA's like current current standing so i can say cbd may be great for inflammation in my personal opinion it's amazing you know for inflammation i think that has a lot to do with brain health brain health there's it really needs to be addressed there's so many things that go with brain health and i think that the the medications that a lot of guys are getting i think they're just you know they're filling the gap i think there's some great stuff out there between both cbd and then marijuana i think you know the magnetic resonance therapy i don't know if a lot of guys know about that but that's amazing there's so many things now that that guys can do for their brain after getting out, and I think that it just needs to be made more available for right. dudes. Yeah, there was a a couple of years ago there was a there was a viral video online, and I think there's there's been since then there's been a lot of cases for where people can actually do the research and, and see some of the science behind it online. But uh, this kid was having seizures, and um, nothing was really working for him. Until somebody suggested he try CBD and, and uh, you know, you see the kids shaking and everything. They'll take the CBD and then immediately the seizures stop. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, I've seen that video a lot. It's an amazing video. Right. So it just shows the power of what, what, is, what is out there. And I think that, you know, 
it's just it's removing the stigma. You got to get rid of what what people think, and it's just it's educating people. You know what I mean on what exactly CBD is and the difference between marijuana and the things that are available. So, so do you, do you have like a, a time frame for some of the other things that you guys want to do with um, with your company? Oh yeah, so twenty twenty is going to be a big year for Easy Day Hab, and then especially you know I would say the next six months we're really going to pump it up. I can't really we're not really going to talk about it until okay. it happens. Just that's where we're running the company, but yeah, there's some big things in the pipe for sure. And eventually, you know, we want to take it beyond just jump beyond just hemp. You know what I mean? This is really going to be like a global a global force for good, you know, and natural healing. Yeah, that's awesome. So if anyone wants to um, keep up with you, you know, check out what you guys are up to as far as your progress and some of the other things or just, uh, you know, everything that you guys are offering, where can they do do that? Social media, website? Yeah, so they can check us out on Facebook at Easy Day Hemp or My Easy Day and then on Instagram at Easy Day Hemp and you can check our website out at www.easydayhemp.com. Awesome. So I, I want to thank you for coming on. You know, I do appreciate you um, speaking about some of this. I know it's it's not easy to talk about, you know, your, your personal struggles and, and things like that. But I know that guys listening who may be going through some of the same things are, are going to appreciate hearing it, especially from someone like yourself. Thanks, man. It's an honor. It's all about community. We need to rebuild that for the guys that are having trouble.